Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. Thank you for joining me on my podcast, where I release two new episodes every single week. Mondays, you can expect to hear from me overcoming a personal obstacle or challenge or an aha moment. And on Wednesdays, I love interviewing others who have overcome obstacles, leveraged adversity, and share their stories with you to inspire and motivate you to keep going and know that no matter what, it's all about your mind over matter. The fact that you ended up on my podcast means you are on your own self-development journey. I want to offer you, if you are ready to level up and take it a step further and deep dive to figure out how to get yourself unstuck or overcome your own obstacles, or you just need some guidance and new perspective, I offer one-on-one coaching. Please visit my website directly at heatherhakes.com, fill out the form, and let's hop on a call. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 209. This week's episode is all about do the thing that scares the hell out of you. And make sure you listen all the way to the end because there's a special something in the middle. Welcome to today's interview. I brought on Gina Molinari. Gina, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here, Heather. Thank you. Give the listeners a little background. Where do you live and what do you do? I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I am a communication and online marketing coach. I call myself the messaging maestro because I help people get really clear, confident, and consistent in their marketing, especially in the online space. Awesome. Um, A little bit about your background, though, and what we're going to dive in today is all about a debilitating fear. But what I want to talk about is obviously what this debilitating fear is, but can you give us background and, and maybe if it goes to childhood or whatever, what was this passion, yet this fear that was holding you back? Yeah, so my background's a little unconventional. I actually started going to my undergrad to be a classical singer. I wanted to be an opera singer. And what I realized when I graduated was that I actually had a completely, as you said, debilitating fear of performing and being on stage in front of people. And it's like, okay, well, why did you go into school to even do that then if that was the case? Um, But the thing was, I just, I always loved music. Even as a little, little kid, I was always the, the one singing in the shopping cart and singing along with my Disney movies or whatever I was watching. But for whatever reason, being up in front of a room full of people with all eyes on me was just, it just brought up everything in me and I couldn't, I couldn't perform. I was a good singer and I focused on like the technique and the diction, you know, I'm not singing in English. So focusing on how to do the foreign languages, but I could not for the life of me get over that fear of being in front of people. I mean, the, the, the sort of shaking that I would have, you know, my legs are like visibly shaking and my hands getting all clammy and everything. And it was just really it was a struggle because I couldn't understand why I loved to do something that I was so deathly afraid of at the same time. Um, and so I actually wound up going to grad school after having that realization that I you know, wanted to stay around it. And so I went into arts administration. I got my master's at NYU for arts administration and thought, okay, marketing, you know, marketing the thing that I love and being around the thing that I love. But, you know, I realized even that was sort of missing something. And then that then evolved into this idea of like messaging is really what's always been important to me. So I kind of do a call back to my work as a singer, realizing that what I was always trying to convey was this message and connect with people emotionally. And I think that was also where the fear came from because it's this idea that like I'm on full display and I'm raw. And when you breathe so deeply as an opera singer, I mean, you have no choice but to connect to your body and to your emotions. And so it was very vulnerable to be on stage like that and to have all eyes on me. 
because if I was ambient noise, like in a balcony or something, I was fine. I actually love, still to this day, I love doing that. But even now, after all the public speaking I do and everything, it's still, it's still a bit of a challenge to sing in front of people. Is it the singing or you don't like being the focal point, like the center of attention? It's both. It's definitely probably more the latter. <laughs> uh, it's the center of attention part definitely is, is a struggle because, you know, when you're again, breathing so deeply, it's like, okay, if, you know, I have body issues. I've had body issues a significant amount of my life. It's like, okay, well, your belly, your belly swells up. And, you know, if you're wearing something tight, what do I look like from that angle? Uh, but it is also the fear of the judgment of, am I doing good enough? You know, if I'm in a room full of other musicians, is it, is it good enough? Is my diction correct? Am I, am I doing things right? That was often something as a, as a recovery professional that I really struggled with is I wanted it to be so perfect. And that was the very thing that stopped me from really just being in the moment as a performer, which other people, you know, when they're into it, you can tell, you can just tell that they're letting go. And you would almost rather see somebody be really into it than hear them be technically perfect. And I just couldn't let that perfection go. Well, what I love is how honest you, you just shared that number one, if you, if you really stand back and think about it, you don't have a fear of public singing. You have a fear of the judgment, the criticism, not being enough, and the body image, which I, I can totally relate to. So wh- what I also love that you share that is super important is the physiology, the things that happen to you that fear brought on, which was the shaking, the sweaty. the So fear is like a real physical thing for people. It's obviously, but it's all the mental, the thoughts about that you you had on repeat that created those physical showings more or less. Yeah. And for me, it then became like an assumption. So the interesting thing was that, you know, I was a kid who did really well in school and I got pretty good grades and everything like that without trying very hard. You know, I'm just kind of naturally smart. So as long as I paid attention and took my notes and whatever, I didn't have to like study to do well on a test. So the assumption after a while became that if something's hard for me, it's not for me. And so the sort of correlation I made was if I have this much fear of it, if it's this hard for me, I must not be built for it. Like maybe that's not what I'm actually supposed to be doing, which now being in this entrepreneur space and obviously constantly facing fear and failure and all of these things, it's like, well, that's, that's not true at all. But I mean, again, I was fighting this idea of being so afraid and so in love with the same thing. And I just made that assumption and it made it actually the, the sort of, nail in the coffin of the thing that made me really believe that story and that limiting belief was I applied for grad school at the place that I did my undergraduate. So I had um, worked in the office of admission and I took a year off. I kept taking my voice lessons and I took a year off and I was going to audition for the grad program, which was great as an employee, like Woo, tuition remission, right? <laughs> I was all excited about it, but I didn't get into the program. And one of the professors came and sat down with me and, you know, talked to me about the audition process. And that really broke me because the story became the people who trained me don't want me. If the people who trained me don't even think I'm good enough for their program, who else would possibly think that I'm good enough for that? So that was just this huge letdown, this huge, you know, kill of the ego. It was, it was just, I, I really had to do a lot of soul searching. So it was, it was quite a bit of time before I even decided that grad school for a different path was a good idea. I almost abandoned music altogether. I didn't think I could be around it without being so upset. And it's interesting because occasionally, even now, if I'm watching a performance of some kind or watching a musician, you know, get into their craft and be really passionate, sometimes I do still have this really powerful emotional reaction of like, I really miss it. 
I really miss it. I, ooh, even just talking about it, I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it. Like it's something that is very much a part of me, but I just made all of these assumptions about what it had to look like. And so being able to take it now into this new space and help other people express themselves the way I had tried to do with music has just become this whole new passion, but it doesn't mean that I stopped having passion for that thing either. So you're not currently singing. No, I, you know, I I actually do have a daytime job uh, to kind of, you know, keep the security going and then building this business on the side. So I'm getting very close to making this jump to full time, but I mean, I just don't have the time to dedicate to it that I would like to dedicate to it. And maybe that's the perfectionist in me still that, you know, I used to practice an hour a day. I don't have that kind of time right now, or I'm not willing to, to sacrifice that kind of time right now while I still have a social life and a relationship that I want to commit to. So I do see it being a part of my future. Actually, I haven't talked about this publicly yet. But what I envision for my future is when I do keynote speaking and come in, you know, people have the music playing in the background and everything. I envision singing the song I come into, not only because it's something that I get to like have this, you know, moment of fear that I get to break through constantly until I'm, I'm better at it until that fear goes away. But because it's then an example to everybody in the room of me practicing what I preach. Like this is important for you guys to continue to do the thing that scares the hell out of you because the, quite frankly, it does still scare the hell out of me. But every time I do it, it's less. You know, um, two years ago now, I sang the national anthem at the rodeo here in town in front of 12,000 people. And when I got that phone call, I was terrified. I was excited at the first second that I got it, like, oh my God, this is so great. And then I thought about the reality of what that meant and what that looks like and that fear set in. And, you know, by the time I actually got into the corner, I felt like Rocky and all of a sudden, oh yeah, no, I am excited again. And there was that shift in it that didn't used to happen. So I do see over time how that relationship with that fear has changed, but yeah, it's still, it's still very much in there. I mean, it's, it's not that something that just goes away right away. So what I have to point out there is, well, several things. I have a couple comments, but (laughs) how cool would it be if your entrance every time you speak is to come on stage and just belt it out? And then, I mean, who else is going to do that, right? Like, that is so awesome. Well, I do like that element of it, too. I always like to do something a little bit different. But it it is the idea that, like, if I do the very thing that scares me most first, everything after that is easy. Public speaking's never scared me because in comparison to singing, it's nothing for me, right? I coach other people on that because I know what that feeling is like. But, yeah, I mean, if I come out there and just am immediately doing the thing I'm scared of and anything that goes wrong doesn't feel like a big deal at all. The other question or something that you point out that kind of was an aha moment for me, when you were asked to, to sing at the rodeo, your first instinct, your first, you were excited. But then uh-huh. the moment you gave yourself time to think about it, which is like a Mel Robbins five second rule, don't give yourself yes. that window. That's <laughs> yes. when the fear set in. So mm-hmm. I think it's so powerful to note that when, when for listeners, when you have that invitation and you're excited about it, Obviously, that's what you're supposed to go towards and be doing because the second you let the fear set in is that's when you overthink and freak out. Maybe you would have backed out. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And so, I wonder if even five years ago, that would have been the case. I wonder if five years ago, that fear still would have been the first reaction. But that doesn't mean that I still shouldn't have done it or accepted the honor. Because, I mean, that's a huge honor. That's a huge honor. And the Nationwide Arena, where I sang it here, is a huge venue. You know, it's a very big deal to be able to do that. So, I mean, I, I don't know that that would have been true even five years ago, that that would have been my reaction. But I still think I would have accepted and then just been fearful the whole time instead of going through the wave of it, you know? 
Well, and I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if, if it's something you have to warm up, but I didn't even think about it in advance, but can you belt out, can you sing opera on the spot? Kind of. Yeah. It's muscle memory, really. I mean, it's something that I, I still do kind of for myself. I'm not in my best vocal shape, but I could potentially, I don't know if I could do it this way. Like I'd bust your speaker, <laughs> but I could absolutely do it. Yeah. Okay, here's a quick interruption. Since we talked so much about Gina singing, I had to give you a clip. Enjoy! is the sound of passion. That is the sound of pure bliss and joy. Whatever you do in this lifetime, don't die with the music still in you. Let's continue on with the interview. Okay, so the question for you, because I felt it and I saw it in you, you still have this passion for singing and it's like you're, you're an avoidance tactic. You're kind of like going around it. So do you think you will come back to that? Is that something that it, whether it's a side, a weekend, a special event, but come back to that. Yeah. I mean, when opportunities may arise right now, I'm just not seeking them. And I'm clear that I'm not seeking them. Like it's a choice. Um, it, it was something where, you know, I told myself, oh yeah, you know, I'd love to do holiday parties or something like that. I love Christmas music or being ambient noise. Actually, my favorite thing to sing for is funerals, believe it or not, because it's just such a powerful emotional moment that people have uh, and being a part of something where I can contribute so strongly to how people feel and just break their hearts open. You know, if they're trying to be strong and closed off and, oh, you know, be tough or something. I mean, I just love being the person to crack their hearts open because I think there's something about the way that I sing that just gets people really, really emotional emotional, even if it's not in English and you can't understand what I'm saying. So, I mean, I, I just haven't been actively seeking them, but there is absolutely no way that I will not go back to it. Like I said, that's the vision for even just the keynote part of it. But I do envision, you know, doing charity concerts and cabarets and things when it comes to the holidays. And I picture doing, um, just going back to regular lessons and being able to see what my full potential is as a singer and whether I do that in some professional capacity or not, I don't know. But I know I want to do it for me and to see what I'm capable, you know, kind of like athletes do it. You know, what is my body capable of? Like, I'll do an Ironman and see how much I want to see what my voice is truly capable of because I never reached my peak. And I don't know. I don't know how far I could have gone. Right. And regret weighs way more heavy than than, quote, failure or rejection. Yeah. Okay, so then question for you, what advice would you give somebody that maybe they can't relate to singing, but they have their own debilitating fear? What steps do you even take to embrace that and then go towards it? Yeah, I think I think the first thing is, if, especially if it's anything like mine, where you just kind of make this assumption that fear means that something's wrong, just 
ignore that instinct, ignore that thought that something's wrong with you because there's fear. I mean, fear is so normal and natural. And even if things have come easy to you before, or if, you know, you, you just are using that as an excuse to run away, like really see it as that. Acknowledge that, no, I'm letting fear make the decision for me right now. And when you start to look at it from the outside of things, you can have a more objective view of what it is you really want. Because once I started looking at it as something that was not necessarily written in stone, and it's like, okay, fear does not mean reality. It does not mean, um, you know, like what my life is played out for or something. Once I got clear on that, it became evident that I had more choice. And when I had more choice, I got to be more creative with what choices I actually wanted to make. And it wasn't that, you know, the universe or God or whatever you believe in, it wasn't that they were choosing for me. I had the choice again. And it was a really, really powerful sort of thing because, you know, here I am being an entrepreneur, which is equally faced with rejection and failure and all the things that I was afraid of as a singer, but I'm happy to do it now. So what's different? I'm different. That assumption is different. That story is different. And ultimately it's taking your power back. Yeah. Because feeding into the fear, a quote that I say all the time, I'd like to say that I coined it, is to let fear fuel you, not rule you. Mm-hmm. And, and for yeah. people that allow fear to hold them back, that they don't go toward the thing that they're so passionate about or they dream of, like that's giving your power away. Yeah. And I actually, because I do a lot of work with language and again, with marketing and public speaking and coaching and everything. I mean, the word fearless to me is, if I may say, bullshit. Like I, fearlessness is not a thing to me. Courageousness is. There will never be a time that you're not afraid because even though you may look at somebody else and say, wow, they're fearless. The reality is that they're just not afraid of the things you're afraid of. They're afraid of plenty of other things. You know, you think of Greek mythology and like Achilles, you know, he was this crazy warrior, demigod sort of thing, but he was still afraid of getting hit in the ankle because that was his one, his Achilles heel, you know, the literal Achilles heel. So everybody has something they're afraid of and just because somebody else isn't afraid of the same thing doesn't mean that you have to be fearless to follow in their footsteps. I totally agree. And and something that I've been projecting more of is that you will never be fearless, but you will, you can learn to fear less. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's okay. So then question for you, what is a key takeaway you want listeners to get from today's conversation? Hmm. That's a good question. I think that your dreams are your choice. That, again, it's not something that destiny necessarily has to pick for you. And yes, you have innate gifts and strengths and things, but that ultimately, if you really want something or have the inkling to want something, that it does get to be your choice. And then maybe you just have to work a little bit harder than somebody who naturally has abilities to, to lead them there. But that it's always your choice. I love that. Okay, so I have a few rapid-fire questions I'd like to ask you to wrap up the interview. The first one being, what is a quote or motto that you live by? Be per- uh, don't be perfect, be patient. Where did that stem from? Lewis House, actually. He has a, a five-minute Friday about that. And uh, this little my intent thing says be patient on it. Patience is something that I constantly get to practice. Yeah. That's a, I feel like I have a, a year old dog. Um, so puppy stages were difficult lately. She's been tearing things up again. And man, I think she is my gift handed to me to learn <laughs> patience and kindness. Yes. And whew, it's been a rough ride. <laughs> but there's 
cute. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> right. Okay. Exactly. Se- second question for you. What is a book you're currently reading or highly recommend? Ooh, uh, so the one I'm currently reading is Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, who I adore. I think he's hysterical. Um, yeah, I'd recommend that one. That's a great one. I've not heard I of him. I pretty much didn't love, no? Oh, God, he's fantastic. He wrote The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. He wrote um, The Pumpkin Plan. Like, he's very big on getting creative as an entrepreneur and not necessarily needing a lot of startup capital. Uh, and he actually lives in the town right next to my hometown where my parents live in New Jersey. So that always cracks me up. But, um, yeah, he he just writes a lot of really inspirational and funny stuff. He's he's uh, imagine Jen Jen Sincero with her "You Are a Badass" like her style of writing, how it's really funny but insightful. He's yeah. very similar. Where he's very funny and it's an easy read, but you learn so much from what he's writing. Oh, totally check him out. I love Jen, mm-hmm. yeah. and but she's yeah, got that good. dry, witty. Yeah, I dig her. Yes, yes, exactly. He he's got that very similarly. Yeah. Okay. Final question for you. What advice would you give your younger self? Hmm. Listen to your gut. My, my internal compass and my internal conscience for my entire life, you know, everybody's got that voice in their head. Mine has always been my parents, specifically my dad, because he's always been the voice of reason in my family. And uh, it took me a very, very long time to learn to listen to my own voice and my own intuition. And the moment that I started to do that, not not only did I discover things that truly made me happy, but I became better at what I do. So when I coach people and I trust my intuition and I say, you know, I feel like something's pinging me right now about what you're saying. And it's, it's always right every time. So it makes me better at what I do. And it just opens more doors for me because I'm listening to my intuition instead of listening to somebody else's voice in my head. I have a question for you on that. Is your intuition, is it more of a feeling or is it literally a voice? Cause it's different for all. It's, it's both. It just depends on what the situation is. Truthfully. Hmm. I can't yeah. say that like, I've never really had a voice speaking. I, I always get a nudges or thoughts or I think mine are thoughts or feelings and I just go, okay, I trust. I, sometimes it's weird, but I trust it. Yeah. Interesting. Gina, I loved the conversation today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. To connect with me even further, follow me on Instagram at heather.hakes. You can find me on YouTube to get even more information and video content and my website, heatherhakes.com. I'll catch you on the next episode.